What's your biggest weakness, Ben? I work too hard. I work so hard. I can't <laughs> turn my computer off at night. Yeah. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Matt Stratton. We are not actually going to be talking about the paradigm or metaphor of junior high Halloween dances to DevOps today. We're going to, I don't know, maybe we will, but we'll see where we're going to go. But if you'd like to find out where we go, you're going to have to tune in after this word from our sponsors. So Ufizi is a platform for platform teams. You can stand up your developer platform in minutes, not months. What I like about Ufizi is that it gives platform teams control and dev teams autonomy. It's Kubernetes native and extensible, so you can customize it with tooling that meets your team's evolving requirements. And these clusters, they spin up fast, like super fast. Out of the box, Ufizi combines a great dev experience, secure multi-tenancy, and cost efficiency. But try it out for yourself at ufizi.com. Download their CLI, and you can spin up your first sandbox cluster in under a minute on their free starter tier. That's ufizi.com, U-F-F-I-Z-Z-I dot com. Thanks to our sponsor, Gliffy, the leading diagramming solution for teams using Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence. Drag and drop shapes to quickly build a diagram, capturing anything from code structure to a simple concept. You can start your free evaluation by visiting gliffy.com slash arrested devops and signing up via the Atlassian Marketplace. That's G-L-I-F-F-Y dot com slash Arrested DevOps. Get started today. Let's face it. No one likes writing or maintaining documentation. But when you start a technical project or pick up a new task, missing information can cost you valuable time. Gitbook is a technical knowledge platform that fills that information gap, making it easy for your team to capture, maintain, and find information from a single source of truth. For example... With GitSync, you can set up a two-way sync between your repository and Gitbook, so you can turn markdown files into awesome user-friendly docs. And if you make a change in your code base, the edits sync between the two automatically. Or what about when you need to find something in that knowledge base? Forget about searching. Just ask Gitbook AI. You'll get a neat summarized answer that is sourced directly from your docs. These are a few examples of what Gitbook can do, so why not give it a try? Head to ArrestedDevOps.com slash Gitbook to find out more. All right. Joining me today is uh, my good friend, Ben Greenberg. Uh, We are going to talk a little bit about, I think, team dynamics and career change and things like that. But before we kind of dig into things, Ben, uh, you want to introduce yourself to our our audience in case there's folks who... Who don't know you or don't know what you've been up to, and then maybe uh... there may be a few of those. Hey, everyone! I might. My name is Ben, and really great to be on the podcast for take two. We could talk about that as well, and the values of creating timeless content. Maddie and I have known each other for a while, and it's always nice to sit together and to chat about all the good things. Uh, I currently am the head of DevRel at a company called Fuel Labs. I just entered that role. Actually, all of two or three weeks ago. This might be the end of my third week in the role. So it's very new. 
And I also have my own small DevRel consultancy uh, where I'm the principal DevRel consultant called Yala DevRel, where we help companies with DevRel sort of as a service, objectives, and currently based out of Miami. Hey, Maddie. Hey. Yeah, as, as Ben alluded to, we, we actually <laughs> we recorded an episode of ADO. We recorded it back in May, and then a few months later, I was getting around to editing it, and we had talked substantially about social networking and not that those networks did not exist anymore or anything like that, but it just did not seem as uh, timely as one would, as one would like. As fresh, as relevant as one would want it to be. So when you're listening to this episode in February of 2024, uh, (laughs) we're recording this in October. This is, it is currently October 27th, uh, 2023. I, I don't expect that it'll be next year when you're hearing this, but if you are, we are going to do our best to keep this. Um, we are. And I'm sure it'll be a beautiful, crisp day in February where you are, just as it is in October where I am. But yes. But you know what is more timely and timeless to talk about, Maddie, are things like team dynamics. Yes. And and running teams. Those are very timeless topics. Ben, you know, just said just just uh, started this new role and when we were looking at what we were going to talk about here and put in the suggestions, Ben had typed in and said, so you've just become the head of a team, Mazel Tov. What are you actually supposed to do? And I think this is really a great conversation. In general, it happens to a lot of folks. We, Every manager was a first-time manager at some point. And I have been in my current role leading the developer relations team at Ivan for a little bit over a year now. Ben has been doing this for it kind of just came into here into this in this new role and sort of looking at thinking about evolution transformation how do you start and I've al- I'm always fascinated by that sort of inflection point of coming into a new role in any way that is senior or leadership it doesn't necessarily have to be a people management one for part of the the context of what I'm what I'm thinking about and to give a little bit of of history of kind of how I've thought about this for myself so again today current role I'm in a director role and I've been doing this you know for a little bit over a year this is not my first time as a manager but it's my first time in about a decade so I it's been, spent, it's been a little bit. It's yeah, been I, I, I spent many years managing and as a manager and a director of technology operations teams. And then circa 2013 or so, 2012, 2013, I said, you know what, I, I need to step away from people leadership. I wanted to chop wood, carry water. We didn't use that term at the time, but I wish we did. But yes, more player, less coach, more perhaps. player, less coach. I just wanted to like get shit done and be an individual contributor. In other words. Even as someone who was not necessarily a people manager, but when you are in a senior and a leadership type role in your career, when you come into a new organization, the same thing can apply. So first of all, Ben, how many times when someone's going to hire you, they're like, Ben, we want you to come over here to work at Flurbradosh and, you know, we are in a state. Dude, we are effed up. We need your big brother. Because again, this is how anytime you're being interviewed, right? We got a situation. We have a situation. We need you. We need you to come save us. You know, you're so smart. Come help us. Come help us. You know, you're you're invited in to be a change agent. So, first of all, I, I have news for you, everybody. If you haven't run into this before, no matter how many times people tell you that they want you to come in and change everything, here's the secret they do not. 
Well, this is the thing too. I think there's a well-known phenomenon of the hero complex of hiring, where we're trying to find the you know lowercase m messiah who's going to come in and save the organization, save the team, fix the dynamics. You know what I did in this interview process? First of all, Fuel is not in that place at all. We're actually it's a very healthy. It's a startup, but in a well-functioning startup with really thoughtful, smart people actual organizational plans, some deliberateness and intentionality. But you know what I did in the interview cycles on this, Maddie? And it was the first time I ever did this. And I'm actually being, I'll be vulnerable and Mm. share what I did because I think it's important to share these things. I decided in this round of interviews, and the first time I ever did this, I shared not, you know, when they ask you like, so tell us a moment when you, when you had a failing, and when you learn from that failing, please, please elucidate for us, you know, a moment where you really struggled and, and messed up and you find a way to talk about how really it's like a positive. Yeah. And- <laughs> What's your biggest weakness, Ben? I work too hard. I work so hard. I can't <laughs> turn my computer off at night. Yeah. This time I actually shared a real big F up. Yeah, And a moment in which I really messed up and it was still raw and it was something I was still processing. I'm like, let me use this interview to process it with them and share how I'm thinking through it. Because if they can hire me knowing deliberately, intentionally that I am far from perfect, that I make mistakes, that I will continue to make mistakes, but let me share with you the way in which I process those mistakes and think through those mistakes. And if you still want me after that, maybe this thing might be for the long term. Maybe this thing might have some legs to it, and maybe it's a place I want to be at. And if you don't want me after that, then maybe it's not a place I want to be at anyways. And so I took that risk. And so far, three weeks in, we'll listen to this recording in a few months from now, but three weeks in, it's pretty good. And and I want to be clear, actually, I was was being, I, I think, a little dramatic license when I was saying they're saying we want you to come and change the world but the but that's the feel that we get because again if we're hiring somebody to come in it's because you're coming in to help us do something we're maybe not as great as we could be or we just want to improve right so we're going to say hey oh this is the value you're going to add and a lot of times that can bring us coming into an organization thinking that yeah it is that hero complex oh you need me to come and save you and first of all things don't work that way generally so i was being a little facetious like when i said nobody even if you're told even if they even if someone explicitly says i want you to come be a change agent the organization don't really love change the organization is not ready for that right and i i learned this in actually my first official manager role so it's fun too. like enough time has passed in certain things where i you know i can sit there and say oh, so so when i went to go work for apartments.com and that was my first job as a manager it was it was fun it was one of those hybrid roles where it was like 50 percent manager 50 percent sysadmin which meant 75 percent manager 75 percent sysadmin it was do the job of one and a half people and so. it was a dot com you had dot com at the end of it yeah i mean although at the time we said they would always talk about us being a startup and we said if you're older than google you can't be called a startup, but, <laughs> but I, 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 anyway, that goes back to a whole other, you know, as the great ones, Ron Swanson says, never half ass tool, two jobs, whole ass one job. But exactly. Talk- I would say that's the distinct challenge of team lead as a role, which I've been doing for years prior to well, this role. And let's, let's put a pin in it because team lead is not a people management role. No, but it has people mentorship. Yes. Right. Very different. Uh, very, very important. Not, not, but- not even less important, but right. And 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 actually, I want to have a whole conversation about. Um, hopefully, we'll get to that. You guys, when you're listening, to this uh, will know whether or not we do about um, 
about what it means to actually be a manager and why it might be terrible and you might not like it at all, or you might <laughs> like it a lot. Anyway, so when I was being interviewed for this for this role, and you know, I was to be the manager of technology operations, and the you know CTO that was my hiring manager was talking about you know we need all this better process, all these things, and and so I was all revved up for like okay, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to make things great, and I came in all fired up, and after about four weeks, realized I need to stop and shut up. And listen for a bit. And from that experience, and I was successful in that job. Like I was there for many years and grew and a lot of great things happened. And I've learned, you know, I sort of try to think about it when I'm coming into a new place. Like I don't want to be in a a scenario where I'm like, well, it takes me three months to figure out what the code to the bathroom is. I just got here. It's my, you know, Homer Simpson. It's my first day. But you have two ears and one mouth. And there's, it's, it's it's always helpful to get context. Why are things the way that they are? Every process, every way of doing things in a company is organizational scar tissue. And there's a reason and there's context. And Ben, you come into this new organization and things are not being done in a certain way. It's what it's sort of like Occam's razor, right? It's like what's more likely that this company has never ever heard of Salesforce before and you're going to bring them the light or They've looked at it and there's a reason. Now, the reason may have changed. Exactly. And if you understand organizations as cultures and and cultures of people, so then it's like, okay, what is the story behind why we're at this moment? Are you going to be the invading colonizer that comes in and uproots and disrupts? Are you going to be the person that sits with the people, listens to their stories, understands the history, and maybe from from amidst the people and with the people helps to craft sometimes new directions, contour existing directions, as opposed to being, you know, the the, the colonizer in all the bad ways. The person that just comes in and uproots society and 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 you know causes massive disruption. I would argue you should probably be more of the person who sits with the people, listens to the stories. But that's hard pivot to do. It's a hard transition to make sometimes when you come in, because especially when you think I'm going to be the one to make change and I'm going to be I'm hired to do things. And listening does listening sound like a thing, right? I see this throughout lots of time over career. Even as even if you yourself haven't changed jobs a lot, where I have, so I've been on both sides. But also, you work with new people all the time, and look at the different people coming into your organization and thinking about the ones who come in and ask questions. And it's a very interesting thing because you think about ramp up, right? Like ramp up is always a thing. So back to the hey, you just are in this place. What do you do? So on one hand, you definitely feel like holy shit, I need to be effective, like. ASAP because whether it's a new role in a new company or it got a new promotion or something, it is a new thing. And, you know, depending upon your level of how good you feel about things or whatever, you might have a whole thing about like, well, I sure hope they don't figure out they made a mistake. I better do everything I can to prevent that. That lovely voice, that lovely imposter syndrome. Yeah, you just just want to show effectiveness. And it's kind of like um you know, just doing things for the sake of doing them sometimes. And, and that can be very dangerous. And especially as you become more leadership focused, but there are, there are lots of things that are to Ben's point that don't seem like you're doing something, but you're doing a lot. And I, I think a little bit about when I started in my role here at Ivan, when I, so I got hired in, in 
August, and it was interesting. Like literally, like when I started, they're like, "By the way, there's a new person who's going to be your boss, and they're not starting for like." three months and I can't tell you who they are and all this stuff. And I was like, well, I'm going to have a new boss in three months. Who's not the person that hired me. And I don't even know if this person knows me. So I was like, well, what am I going to do during this time? So what did you do during that time, Maddie? That's about what I'm going to tell you, right? Well, I want to know. I know. So what I didn't want to do was come in like a bull in a China shop and try to upend the entire way that we did everything. But I was like, well, the clock is ticking a little bit. Like I couldn't sit around for too long. And I actually talked to a coach of mine about this, and his perspective was, look, if you have this new person coming in in a few months, what are you normally going to do during this first time? You're going to do a lot of discovery. You're going to say, let me get the lay of the land. And he said, you're going to have this time. He said, what you want to have is that when your new boss, player to be named later, lands, you can sit down and say, hi, new boss. My name is Maddie. Nice to meet you. Here's what's going on and here what we should do. I've already figured it out. Like, as in, during this time, I have done my analysis, I've done my research, I've talked to people, and I have a plan put together. I haven't done anything yet, necessarily. So I haven't, so it was sort of a matter of saying, like, because what you don't want to do is come in and say, well, I was waiting for you to find out what you want the world to look like. And, and it's that negotiating the balance of providing a plan with leaving space for that new person yeah. to help you contour and shape that plan. But it was also, like, yeah, adding some value of saying, I've done a bunch of research. I've, I've gone out. This, this is how I understand how our team fits into the culture here. These are the challenges we have. And I will tell you, like, again, back for sort of the new starter, and especially when you think about someone who is in a leadership role, and you generally, because in a leadership role, you probably have a lot of uh, cross-team things. You're, you're, t- you're talking to lots of other departments. So when you start, this is something I kind of did by accident when I started at Ivan, but I liked it so much. I now tell every new joiner when they do this with me. So I had, you know, sit down and you'll have your boss or your, your onboarding buddy or someone in your department is going to set up like a ton of meetings for you. They're like, here, right. Ben, here's all the people you should be. You need to go meet Sally and demand Jen and Joe and product and whatever. And the thing is you have all these meetings like within the first week or so that you started. Your calendar is packed. Your calendar is packed and you're talking to these people and you don't know shit. Let's be honest. (laughs) You have no context for anything. So you don't end up having super great conversation. I mean, actually, you have great conversations. They're not very – You have like social capital building conversations. So what I did is I would say, okay, I I, I had a couple – almost interview sounding questions I would ask that were just generally about sort of perception of the department. What do you see the big challenges are? But really it was just more of, Hey, I'm Maddie. This is my background. Who are you? Where do you live? Do you like dogs? You like vanilla ice cream? I like vanilla ice cream. It's so nice. Let's talk about vanilla ice cream. But at the end of every single one of those, I said, let's put something on the calendar four weeks from today. Yeah. And I forgot that I did that. And then it was like four or five weeks into my tenure. So all of a sudden all these meetings are popping up and I was like, Oh, this is great. I have something to talk to them about now. Like, right. I'm so excited that now. You have some context. Yeah. Now you're like, okay. But it was good to have you have that first one, which is just like, now we know each other as people. This exists. But proactively, let's have a follow up in four to six weeks when I've got my feet under me. I now I can have a much more like intelligent conversation. Substantive conversation. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, and. Oof, that one is that's that that that's worked out super well. That's really nice. One thing I like to do is also in those first meetings is ask uh, the person who else you think I should meet in the company or in the organization. Mm-hmm. 
because, you know, the person who sets you up with all those meetings, that's a great entry point. But then when you start meeting the team leads and department heads, well, they know their departments perhaps a little better than the person who does it, who's not in their department. And so suddenly you start getting to meet a lot of interesting people. And if you work as part of an ecosystem with companies building around your, let's say your infrastructure and the companies are building on you, you may want, if you're in the right, you know, user facing part of the company like DevRel, you may want to meet some of those ecosystem partners and start meeting some of those major developers that are building utilities on your infrastructure. And that becomes really useful. And suddenly your horizons start broadening really, really quickly. I'm at, I'm at that stage right now in week three, where I'm starting to meet the ecosystem partners and starting to meet the developers who are building with and on us and understanding what their friction points are. Like, what, what are your challenges? And who have you worked with internally in the company? What has worked well for you? What hasn't worked well for you? What are your, what are your communication channels? You know, these sort of like informal interview-esque kind of questions along with building the social capital so you can carry it forward there's a really helpful book called the first 90 days Mm. which the first thing you need to do ben is invent a time machine and go back in time and read this book five weeks ago I'm actually so glad I do have a time machine. You skip the first step. You don't have to invent it. Right, right? yeah. That we've had in Florida for a long time. Yeah. I mean, Usually I say most business books can be summarized as a blog post. This is more of those where I think one reviewer said this This feels like a bunch of Harvard Business Review articles sort of stapled mm-hmm. together. So its name is misleading. It sounds like it will tell you a good plan of your first 90 days. But really it's a way – it helped me a lot with framing – what does my first 90 days in an organization look like? There's some really helpful stuff about figuring out what type of an organization you're in in terms of why are you there? Like, again, right. are you here because there's a radical change? Are you there to expand? Are you there to – and like being able to identify those those bits and bobs helps to think about how you frame it. But what what's interesting, too, is I think that like – Having those conversations that are the research-oriented ones, not only do they help you in order to make your decisions better, they do so much from a, I don't mean necessarily want to say like a building allies, but just a general like, you you, you need, for like, I guess it is allies. I mean, I'm not yeah. finding the right word I want, but like for your, your colleagues, you want to get off on the right foot in a collaborative way, right? That's sort of the I'm thing you're saying, that. hey, you tell me. What I know, and I also think about it this way too, when I'm like thinking about people that I hire and when I'm working as a manager and, and any type of coaching and managing, uh, this goes into a whole other conversation about this executive coach that I got management training from decades ago that I still live by, but it's, you're looking at people from two axes, which is engagement and skill. Mm-hmm. And someone that is a high engagement but low skill is a new starter. And it's funny, I'll say that and someone would be like, I'll be like, you could hire a principal engineer and on their first day, their first week in your company, they are high engagement, low skill. Low skill doesn't mean they don't know how to use Kubernetes. It means, but they sure as hell don't know how things happen at your company. They don't have the skill to do their job effectively immediately, but they have high engagement. They're excited. They just started. Then you have your high skill, low engagement. Those are your burnout, your, you know, burnout (laughs) folks that you got to do something about. And, and your high engagement. Those are your, high, those are your career hump folks. Yeah, yeah, those are yeah. They and it's but you want to have that you you yourself you know kind of that realization that when you're in there in the beginning, I don't care. You could be the new CEO 
you are you're low in, skill. You're low skill at this point. Yeah, you you, you, you need to use the people to help you get smarter about the situation, right? You know, and so when you're kind of getting those teammates together versus kind of coming in and saying like, you know, a lot of times people want to make an impact and they say, well, we should do this. We should do this. Let's, and, and it starts speaking with a lot of actions and a lot of activity. And you look really busy and you look like you're doing a lot of things, but it certainly doesn't win you, which win you a lot of collaboration because you come across with this. Well, you're just too dumb to understand that this thing ever existed. So let me let let me inform you, and you know. Well, isn't isn't that emblematic of one of the curses of developer relations that we can end up being inundated with things we're doing, but never actually understanding why we're doing them or what impact they're having? We can fill our calendars with activities and initiatives and have no idea how that moved the needle in any way, shape, or form. But we're really busy, Maddie. Uh-huh. We're constantly busy. And I think that that is just, what's the word for it? Just an, a never-ending, never-ending problem that plagues this discipline. You just have to pause a little more and think about the impact and think about like what is it we're trying to do? And maybe it means doing less, but doing what we're doing more intentionally and more impactfully and taking a step back. Well, and I think like thinking, you know, our audience is not all in DevRel, but I think this applies to, there's a lot of similarity between people working in operational roles and infrastructure roles and things like that. It's a lot of invisible work. And usually what feels pretty disconnected to the business value, right? Right. And and being able to, and that again goes back to when you're, especially if you're newly, like, I mean, I say this to practitioners all the time. Like at every level, I said, do you know how your company makes money? If you don't go find out, I'll wait because we need to do. And so the more that you understand how your business works, the better you can demonstrate that value. Again, this is, it's it's interesting because I I'm interviewing again. It's funny timeliness when you're gonna listen to this podcast might not be true as much, but you know I have an open role on my team right now, so I've been interviewing a lot of folks, and it's sort of making me laugh because this is a pretty pretty senior Deverell hire, and my round of the interview, the first one is it's kind of funny. It's it's philosophy is kind of what what me and the recruiter decided it was, and I had I had an interview with someone last week. This course in Immanuel Kant. And yeah, yeah. Level. It's well, it's about the philosophy right. of Devrel because it's sort of one of those things. Of saying like, are we Devrel contains multitudes? We could mean different things. Right. There's a bunch of incredibly skilled people that would not be happy working on the kind of team that I run. Nor would you know that that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just different, right? And I, one of the questions I ask in the interview is that, how do you measure, how do you think is a, you know, some good ways to measure effectiveness of developer relations? And by the way, for, if you're listening, it could also be DevOps would also fit into that, except Dr. Forsgren wrote a book about it already. I still say we need the Dr. Nicole Forsgren of DevRel to happen. Mm, one day. One day. Anyway. But I had I had this interview and I said first of all I'm like I need you to answer the question sh- briefly because we don't have an hour long podcast to have this and but I had an interview with with a candidate recently and after it was over he said this interview felt like a podcast and that was a good thing I was like I feel like we just sat and talked on a podcast about Devrel and that was the interview um, that is actually a really good thing and sometimes that is part of the interview loops for Devrel hires as well like can you do a mock podcast yeah can you. Yeah, why not? But but I was but I was saying but talking about the showing value is where I was getting at yeah. is that I because I'm interviewing a lot of people and I have to explain what is our philosophy of Devrel for my team for how we think about it and because the way I think about philosophy is it's just a bunch of tropes that I repeat over and over again 
And one of them is if you don't have a way of demonstrating value, a way of demonstrating value will be assigned to you and you won't like it. Yeah. So, but, but the other way I look at this is there is a lot of stuff that's hard to like measure. And I get that, right? But we can't lead with that because if we take care of the things that are connected to the business outcomes, if we're doing the things that are the KPIs that are well understood, nobody's going to give us a hard time about the other stuff. Because we already took no, care the other, of this. The other stuff becomes praiseworthy at that point. Well, right. It's just, it's fine. They're like, cool, do whatever you want. You took care of it. You, right. you ate your vegetables. Right. Now you can, you know, it's like, you know, you can you can have all the ice cream you want because you ate all your veggies. I, you know? I do feel, by the way, this conversation applies to every area of the business, of all aspects of engineering yep. as well. Yes. I'm thinking particularly for like on the DevX side, when you have like SDK engineers and they're working on the SDK development and you think to yourself, well, what do I prioritize? Full feature, you know, uh, conformity across all the specs of the company. So we have 100% coverage at once simultaneously. Or do I want to make sure I roll out what I can roll out really well so that what does work for the SDK at that point works excellently and the the developer ergonomics of it is spot on or do i want to make sure that i cover every area of the apis of the company regardless of how it feels to developers using it and i feel like a lot of times you have pms product managers and either end of that trying to either force the devx engineers to build the sdk at 100 simultaneously or feature by feature incrementally to make sure you get like a 10 star developer experience for that feature set and then you move to the next one and you go do it the iterative sense and you know you probably can tell by the way i'm describing it which one i prefer more than the other one but i've seen both in companies and i think like it's not just true on the devrel side it's equally true on the DevOps side on the devx side it's uh, true for technical writers as much equally as uh, true for them as well. It's true across the board. Like, how do you really measure impact by doing a lot or by doing less, but doing that less uh, to more completeness and more to a higher standard of excellence? So you're three weeks in here, right? Three weeks. Okay. And I'm going to ask some just like specificity questions. So we've got some context. Not that there's a right or wrong. Okay. So, so you're running the team. Theoretically. Theoretically. Is there a team? There is a team. No, I asked. You know, there's people be like, yes, we're going to hire you to run this team. And you may be able to hire them at some point. But okay. I'm not the head of myself. Not the head of yourself. You're not an army of one. Okay. So, but I'm going to assume since you just started three weeks ago, you did not hire this team. I did not hire this team. I inherited this team. Or they 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 got stuck with they you. Yeah, I was going to say it's more. Let's let's be right. fair, right? They were there yeah, first. And they right. they had you forced upon them. I'm sure that's yes. not the case. Yeah. How many Good people are on your team? Just out of curiosity, I, I have three cool. actually quite wonderful humans awesome. on the team. Are you all very dispersed? So it's it's a really good question. At this point, we are not. We are all in the Americas. Furthest south is in Colombia, and the furthest north is in Toronto. And then another person in the middle of the United States, and me here in Florida. So we're actually very much contained from a time zone perspective, which I don't. I'm a. I've been on geographically distributed teams actually the majority of my working life. I don't think you need to be as as constrained as this. It's not necessary at all. But there's something. Kind of nice. I was going to say, it's not necessary, 
but it's darn convenient, I bet. When you're just starting out and you're building that rapport in those relationships and getting processes going and doing a lot of listening, you can all listen in the same time zones. And you and no one has to be up late at night or early in the morning. It's not the worst thing in the world at this point. I haven't had it before. So that's a that's another new experience for me. We'll put you on the spot a little bit here. What's your what's your plan? You know, you have your you know, hey, it's my first day I got here. I, you know, figure out how to log into the, you know, into the single sign on. I, I feel like you got to have that behind you at this point. Like, but, what do we do at this place? Right. So, as a. How do I use this YubiKey? Yeah. So, as a. And, and, and what's the tenure of your team? Like, are they relatively new or have they been around for a minute? The whole team has been there for about a year. Okay, so, so they've been there forever, as far as you're concerned. A year in tech terms is already, you know, nope, they they know like, way more than you do about the institutional. They, they know knowledge. way more than I do on many things, yeah. which is what you want for a team, right? You want a team that knows more than you. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, tell, walk me through what you're what you've been doing so far. You know, you kind of you getting these couple of weeks underneath you, and then kind of what's on your short term horizon as someone coming into a new team that's going to be trying to lead folks who ostensibly. And probably should no more than than you do, you know. So what's interesting is, so I think I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I had been a team lead for quite a while in a different context, and so I had not yet been a head or a slash director of a DevRel team, but I'd been a team lead on different functions within the team. So whether it was the DevRel engineers or Dev advocate side, however the company liked to structure the DevRel team. But prior to entering tech, Maddie. I was like the head of companies, like nonprofits, and were director level at nonprofits. And that was my last time in a kind of director or head context was in my first career before I became a second career kind of tech person. So now what I'm doing is kind of leaning back into those skills and leaning into all the mistakes I made when I was in the first round of doing this uh, a decade ago and more, uh, and all the awful things that I cringe about of how awful I was as a manager back in those days as, as a director, and all the things I told myself I would do better this time around, I'm now getting a chance to do it better and to be more to learn basically and be more thoughtful about the type of director I want to be. You know, when I did this the first time around, I was a young guy like just out of grad school and I was I was a young guy in all the ways a young guy can be a young guy. So highly opinionated. I spoke much more than I listened. Uh, I I totally bought into the change agent kind of paradigm, and it cost me right. And it was not it was not always a fantastic experience. So what I've been doing now, time around, is realizing. Wait, Ben, you got two. Like you just said, you have two ears. Let's 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 listen more. So I've been listening a lot, which is not my natural inclination. I'm more of a talker. I'm a schmoozer. I'm not much of a listener. So I've been listening more, taking a lot of notes, and starting to put together now at the end of week three, starting to put together some very preliminary plans of what we're going to do. And I'm going it from a methodology of like quarter by quarter. So from quarter by quarter. So now we're at the, you know, near the end ish of Q4 as we talk about this in the end of October. So by the end of Q4, what do we want as a team to be at? What are the things we want to have seen done? And instead of saying, and this is, I think, really important, instead of saying to the team, this is what we're going to do, you, my new director that just came in three weeks ago, I drafted a plan 
shared it with my people I report to and then shared it with them. And like, let's talk about this. Let's, I want you to like tear this apart if it doesn't make sense. I want you to critique this if it doesn't make sense. Now the conversation can't go on forever. We have to at some point like feel good about it and move on and commit to something, but we're going to do that. And while we're doing that, we're simultaneously going to start together collaboratively putting together based on what the company's objectives and key results look like for the Q1. How can we as a team contribute to that into Q1 for our objectives and key results? And I'm bringing the team together next month for an offsite where we're just going to spend time to actually like drill into those things, hash it together collaboratively. I'm not coming in with answers. I'm coming in maybe at the most being a guide and uh, a facilitator and a conduit and you know, at some point we'll end the conversation and say, it sounds like we have consensus and let's move forward in that way. But this is my method now on October 27th, 2023. My method now is to try and be that collaborative consensus builder and facilitator role and less of the top-down decision maker. Let's do another podcast in a year from now and see if that's still the exact same method that I, I, that we're still using. But that that one seems to be the one that is where it's working so far. And in the sense that I'm building, hopefully building, and you know, as, as my colleagues and teammates listen to this, they can tell me where I'm totally off or not. But building collaborativeness, building trust, building relationships with poor, um, which is super important because you can't just come in and dictate if you want to create a culture of longevity on the team and people feeling like ownership uh, over their team and ownership over their identities and ownership over their roles. Because ownership is how you create a sense of a culture of staying and a culture of people wanting to be there for the long haul. And long haul in tech could be two to five years, right? But like long, less than more than six months, you know, being on the team is, I think, super, super important and crucial. So that's what we're kind of doing. We're, we're trying to build collaboratively objectives and key results for the first quarter of next year and, and structuring the team in a way that makes, that makes sense, that, that fills the need. So having come in, one thing that was, desperately needed was because there hadn't been a person in this role for a while was creating a culture of recognition and a culture of being basically the the praiser of people's work and the and the person who helps carve out career progression paths for people and elevates people on the team so a key a deliverable for me that will make me feel successful in this role is if i can carve out uh, career trajectory paths for the folks in the team that both do two things at once, Maddie, recognize what they've done in the past year and get them to the place in their career where they should be after a year of the work they've done, and then carve out a systematic approach to continuing to do that so that no one feels like they're stagnant and no one feels like they're underappreciated inadvertently, of course. It just, there wasn't anyone there to do that to, and they shouldn't feel stagnant in their, in their progression and know what they're building towards personally and professionally. You mentioned about having had the, you know, people management manager experience in a different lifetime, but like those skills are, transferable, right? Like that's why I wanted to kind of go back when when we were talking about the, you know, being a team lead and then versus being a people manager. And Lindsay Homewood has a wonderful blog post that he wrote 
very long time ago and it's still relevant called it's not a promotion it's a career change and i'll put that a link to that in the show notes i also have a link to the book the first 90 days and there's a couple things i think about when i think about that difference about people management so one is how i got out of people management so i had that role i'd been the manager of technology operations and eventually became the director and i was running our all of our database operations, tech ops, our help desk, all those, you know, sorry, production support folks, all these things. And then we got a new CTO. And after I was working for him for a little bit, he sat down with me and said, you know, he said, I don't feel like managing people is what gets you out of bed in the morning. He said, I feel like you like the technology more. You know, this is what I'm thinking about from understanding you, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I think, I think you would do better to be, you know, our, our infrastructure architect. And I said, well, first of all, I didn't know that was a thing. That we had here, like you know, he's, I mean, thing he was oh, thinking of, and oh, and yeah. we kind of talked about, it and I said, okay, <laughs> but I think what I'm about to share is indicative of like kind of part of the problem, and I said, I'm up for that because that sounds like a fun job, and and yes, I'm kind of burnt out on man, you know, all the managing of the people, and I would love to just go and play with chef and you know, vCenter and all those other things we were doing and and design all that stuff. I said, so I had two caveats. I said, one is. I didn't do not take a pay cut for doing this. Like you're, you know, I, I need to keep making the same money. And I said, I need you to write a letter to my wife and my father-in-law that this is not a demotion. And, (laughs) but that was the sort of thing because it's like, you're not management anymore. It's a demotion. And we've, this has been talked about a lot about like, Hey, I mean, I look at this too. I'm, I'm a big believer that there can and should be individual contributors on my team who make more money than me. A hundred percent. You know, there's a great talk about this on by Aaron Bassett on the You Got This series of events run by Kevin Lewis. So I'll find the link and I'll share it with you to add to the show notes yeah. later. But he gives a talk about this because Aaron, who I, I worked with him for quite a while in other contexts and other roles, he's a big advocate of the idea you do not need to become a manager yeah. to become promoted and that there must be paths of excellence for ICs to fall, follow up the ladder. And if you have to be promoted to a manager role to get the raise that you deserve, then there's something fundamentally wrong in the organization. That being said, team lead and people manager are two very different jobs. Okay, because and and the reason I think about this is I I was doing some career coaching for for someone recently who was talking about how they wanted to get into management. They're like, I think I want to be a manager, and we were doing a lot of talking. They're a very senior IC, and we're kind of talking about it. And the a lot of it kept coming back to, oh, but I you know I, I run these open source projects, so I know about managing people, and I'm like, <laughs> that's managing people working together. But let's talk about the things that people managers do, like performance management, like career coaching, like you know engagement coaching, like you know that some of it's very very rewarding and some of it's very much not. But it's rewarding because it's necessary and helpful. But you don't do that running an open source project. You don't deal with people's time off requests. And I am being incredibly like you're never putting an open source contributor on a pip at any point. The opposite of trying to figure out how to take an open source contributor and making sure that they are getting the career progression that they need in your organization, that you're developing them, that you're helping them have what they need and go where that needs to be. When I was in my management and director life before, when I was at apartments.com, which was part of a larger company, uh, one of the things that organization did that I am always thankful for is they invested very heavily on manager and director training because they realized they had such a culture of promoting from within that they kind of sat back and looked and said, 
I don't remember what the number was. I'm going to, this is according to a statistic that I just made up that 75% of their managers were first time managers, but it was something like that. And they said, well, this is not great. I mean, it's great, but it's not great for the organization to like it's just an opportunity to provide skills. Right. It's like, okay, we have to do something about that. And so they right. had a program put together by this executive coach, basically based here in Chicago named Bill Joy. And I will talk about Bill Joy all the time. You've longtime listeners of this podcast will remember Bill Joy from when I've talked about culture change because I learned from him. So Bill has been very impactful in your Bill career, has been hugely like impactful. All the stuff I talked about engagement, all that, that's all Bill. But one of the things he talked about, and he didn't invent this, but you know, you think about the, as you go through, you know, kind of management career, there's multiple transitions. There's IC to manager, manager to director, director to senior director, senior director to VP, blah, blah, blah. And each of those transitions is a change. So it's like, are you going from managing a team to managing a function mm. or whatever? The hardest one is that first one going right. from, and part of the reason is because you need to stop doing the things you're used to doing. Everything else from that point on is just a matter of scale and like nuance. But yeah. And uh, it's interesting in that in my role here at Ivan, I've sort of accidentally made it easier for myself, even though, yes, I've, I've made that transition before, but I am now from a DevRel perspective going from being a, you know, Chop wood, carry water, DevRel for eight years or whatever. Now say, now I'm going to go actually lead the team. I am, I believe, again, my team that's listening may or may not argue about how successful I am, but I believe <laughs> I am more successful than I would be, say, if I was leading a DevRel team that was in the Kubernetes space or the InfraCode space or someplace where I'm like, I know this shit. I am helped by the fact that I joke and say I couldn't get a job on my own team. Now, some people might hear that and say the worst thing in the world is a manager who doesn't know what we do. I, but you're a manager that's willing to learn. Well, and I know and how explore. to DevRel. I know how to right. do that job. But I would never go out there and try to go give a talk on a conference stage about Kafka. Right. You know, and and nor well, maybe Franz Kafka. Maybe the. I mean, I actually probably should try to. I love that you mentioned that because there's something really profound about not only taking a new role and and the new roles of responsibility and scope, but switching verticals as well, Maddie. Like switching into an area that you have lost your expertise in. And what does that do to you as the new joiner? And what kind of humility does that force upon you? That's actually a really, really good conversation. I guess my last, I mean, we're, we've surprising no one, or at least maybe not surprising you and me. I don't know about the listeners. I don't know what surprises you all anymore. It's been over 10 years of Arrested DevOps. Are you at 10 years? The first episode of Arrested DevOps was in December of 2013. Mazel tov. Anyway, I don't remember what I was trying to say. I think what I was trying to say is that this episode is over. We've talked a lot. We've talked a lot, Maddie. That said, this has been a whirlwind. This has been super fun. If you head over to ArrestedDevOps.com slash now for this episode's show notes, you'll find links to several of the things we talked about on this episode, and you can click on them if you would like to. If you go to ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes, you can leave us a review in the Apple Podcasts directory previously known as the iTunes store, which somehow helps other people find the podcast and such. And you can find us on Spotify and iHeartRadio and Audible and all those other systems. And maybe it's getting to that time of year. You should be listening to us on Spotify. Maybe we'll make it into your Spotify unwrapped or wrapped. Is it wrapped or unwrapped? I don't know. I don't use Spotify. Uh, I don't use Spotify either. I, I know they have a thing. They do They do like a Spotify wrapped as a podcast. Like we can do one at the end of the year. I'll right. have to pay attention. But at the end of your thing, is it a wrapping or an unwrapping? I and mean, that's kind of a conceptual conversation. I, 
I mean, we can find the answer by by searching for it. But it's Spotify Wrapped. It's your Spotify Wrapped. I mean, you, you went right to the answer. We didn't. We could have like. It makes more sense though because it's a wrap. But you're unwrapping. Well, it. that that so would be you're unwrapping it, but they wrap it to you. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. I, I can see it being either yeah. way. I can understand the. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's been a good, it's been a pleasure, a great time. Yeah, this is Arrested DevOps, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand.